So this service is not brought to you by Progressive. <laughs> we do not promote Progressive. I don't even have Progressive. However, I do think their commercials are really outdoing the competition. Um, we have an ad professional here. Is that more or less true? Yeah, they're pretty good. Um, <laughs> Welcome to Park Church. My name is Matt. I'm a pastor here on staff. We're in our second week of a series up here called Not Alone. And we're kind of asking big questions, the kind of questions that make us feel alone. Like, um, like, will I ever be good enough? That was last week. Like, am I the only one who feels that, that way? This week, our question is, um, this one right up here, it is, uh, this one right up here is, um, will there ever be enough time? Will there ever be enough time? Busyness is just, it's kind of like a disease in our culture. Will there ever be enough time? And you saw that in Doug and his taco truck, right? If you've ever had the experience of owning your own business or working for yourself, you know that you never have enough time because there's always more beans to prepare, right? There's always more research to do. There is always more tacos to sell. Um, when you're your own boss like that, there's just always something more. The demands on your time are always there. But even if you're not your own boss and you work for someone else, you know, my wife's a teacher and I hear about it from her. There is just too much expected of her. There's too much on her plate all the time. And so what it does, it just overflows into the rest of life. And you saw that with Doug and his family. He couldn't even sit there and watch TV with his wife because the demands on his time were just too strong. This feeling of, will there ever be enough time? It's something that um, really exists, I bet, for all of us. I mean, you might not even have a job, and you might be saying, gosh, will there ever be enough time? Um, because I'm a mom, because I'm a dad, because I'm a wife, I'm a husband, um, I own a home. If you own a home, you know that this question is just like, it's, it should be part of like w what you sign on to when you get a mortgage. You're never gonna have, you're never gonna have enough time. The answer to this question that we just give by default is no. There will never be enough time. And if you're feeling that, this morning, you are not alone in that. When I think about time, um, I think of it like, you know when you dig a hole at the side of the ocean next to the beach, and you dig it because your kid wants to play in it, and no matter how big you dig it, no matter how wide you dig it, no matter how big of a wall you put in front of it, it's going to get filled, and eventually it's going to go away. When you have time, it is always going to get filled, and it is going to go away. It's never going to stop. And if I'm making you anxious, I'm sorry. That, that, that makes you anxious. Um, but this matters, right? And it matters for two really kind of central and obvious, well, one reason is obvious and you know it. The other reason you might not know very well. Um, one obvious reason is if your answer to this question is always no, if you always feel like you're up against the clock, um, you're just going to drive yourself crazy. You're going to be driven crazy, you're going to run ragged with all, all of the demands on your time. And you know this. What this comes down to, though, is not time. It's about who you want to be. You don't have time to be the person you want to be. What this looks like is you don't have time to be the mom that you want to be or the dad you want to be, because you want to do these things with your kids. You want to be able to give them time to raise them, to teach them, to have good experiences with them, and you just don't have enough time to be the mom you want to be, the dad you want to be. You don't have enough time to be the wife you want to be, the husband you want to be. You don't have enough time to be the friend you want to be, the brother you want to be, the sister, um, the son or the daughter. You don't have time to be the neighbor. Nonetheless, you don't have time to be the teacher you want to be, or the assistant to the regional manager that you want to be. Um, 
It's just this thing, it just goes on and on. I don't have the time to be the person I wanna be. Last week, we talked about this question, um, will I ever be good enough? And, the, and what that question kind of drives us to is this feeling of, um, of always being a failure, this, this, this feeling of shame. And it relates to this week because if you never have the time to be the person who you wanna be, you will always fall short of that last question from last week, will I ever be good enough? And so this question relates directly uh, to last week's question. Watch last week if you missed that. Um, but the second thing, the second reason that this matters, and you might not know this, you might not believe this. We believe here at Park Church that God has made us for a particular reason. God has made us um, to be a good influence in the world, to live a life that matters. We've talked about this um, really all through September about extending mercy uh, where you can, about seeing people in your life who are in need and, um, and taking some time, taking some energy, taking some of your resources to be able to help them. And um, we have it painted on the wall out there uh, to love where you live. That's what, that's what God has made us for. That's the life that he's given us to live. And the fact is, if all of our time is taken up with all of the busyness, all of the stuff, if our answer to this question is always no, we will never have time to look up and see the needs around us and respond to them. We'll never have time to look up and actually extend mercy or care for people. And so the, the, um, the idea of busyness, this question gets in the way of us living the sort of life that God has made for us to live. And God made us to live this life. He designed us with 24 hours a day and seven days a week, right? And 365 a year. I mean, he could have made the earth spin I don't know, faster or slower, however that works, and given us more time, but he didn't. And in fact, if you look in the Old Testament, like the first part of the Bible, you'll read there that God actually gave us more time than we need. God designed us to work with seven days, but we only need six of them. And that seventh day is a day of rest. It's called the Sabbath. It's a day for us just to um, devote to God, to kind of recharge. So all you actually need is six-sevenths of your time. So what that means is, your laughter is, either, either God didn't make us, and we're all just a bunch of chemicals and molecules that are floating through space. I hope that's not the answer. Or it means that God is really bad at math, right? He meant to give us 240 hours a day, and he only gave us 24, right? He didn't bring in the zero. Or it means that we're doing something wrong. It means that we're doing something wrong. And I think that's what it is. And here's why I think that. Because Jesus was a man. He was a human being just like you. He had the same amount of time that you do, needed the same amount of sleep, same time eating. And he got a lot done. And he only did it for about three years. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about those three years that he spent. So it's within the human capacity um, to live the kind of life that God's made you to live with the time that you've been given. Now, if you do um, reading, if you do research, if you watch, look, just go on TED.com and see this kind of stuff. Um, you get all kinds of special um, talks on time management. And all of the best research, all of the th um, newest theories, all of it comes down to one uh, concept, and it's a concept of priorities. If it's a priority, you have time for it. If it's not a priority, you don't have time for it. For instance, my wife, for about a year now, has been asking me to re-caulk the downstairs shower. 
At the nine o'clock service, I'm not even joking, she raised her hand in the back of the room and said, I did it this morning. <laughs> I didn't know she was going to. That was not part of the plan. I didn't plant her there. Last week, she threatened me to look at YouTube and figure out how to cock the shower herself. And I was like, no, 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 I will do it. I will do it. And she's like, no, you won't. And lo and behold, the morning I'm speaking about time management and going to use talk, cock, cock talk, um, she cocked the shower. I, I, that was not planned. There's a woman uh, who gives a TED talk. Her name's Laura Vanderkam, and she's kind of like an expert in time management. She researches it. She's written books about it. She's on Good Morning America, that sort of thing. She gives a talk about it, and she says that um, she did research once where she asked this like, huge amount of people to basically document every like, minute, every hour of their lives for one week. One of the people who was part of this study, she was um, a working mom, very busy, very successful, had a number of kids. Um, in the middle of the week that she was documenting, it was a Wednesday, her hot water heater broke. Her hot water heater's in the basement, um, water all, all over the basement, right? If you ever had something like this happen to you, like you know the feeling. Um, the first feeling that you have you can't share in church because it <laughs> involves a word we can't use here. The second feeling you have, the second thing that goes to your head is, I don't have time for this, right? I don't have time for this. She said that for this woman, she documented, it took her seven hours that week to deal with this. Between calling the plumbers and calling Lowe's to get a new one and calling the cleanup people to do that and the stuff she had to clean and then having to get it redone and scheduling all this stuff, it took her seven hours that week to deal with her hot water heater. Now, if you were to ask that woman, hey, can you give seven hours this week to do this good thing in the world? Or um, to rest for seven hours? Her answer would be no, of course not. But when you have water all over your floor ruining your things and you have no hot water, you do it because it's a priority. When it comes down to it, um, the things that we have time for, those are our priorities. The things um, that we don't care about, they're not our priorities, we don't have time for. This is something that we learn not just from TED Talks and from research and books, but this is something that Jesus actually taught us. Um, in his life, in his teaching. So as with all things part church, we're gonna look to Jesus to be our guide, to be our leader, and to show us the way uh, forward through this question. We're gonna look at a story that he uh, is a part of in the Gospel of Luke. This is the third of fourth Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the books that are about Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Um, it's a time where he and his followers, it's called the disciples, they're kind of traveling from village to village. They're teaching and they're, and they're saying wonderful things and they're healing people. Um, and Luke kind of uh, leads us into this story like this. Luke writes now, as they, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they went on their way. He, Jesus, entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care? that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. So you have Mary and Martha. This is kind of um, a common scene. Even if you've never read this or heard this story, you know what this is like. One person's in the kitchen doing everything, and the other person is not in the kitchen, and they're doing nothing. Um, 
We read a children's Bible to our kids every night, and um, there's, a, there's one page of this book that's always stood out to me as the most hilarious page in the book. Um, and this is it right here, right? <laughs> that's the depiction of Martha, which I just love. Um, she's so mad, she has sweat flying off of her. Um, her tongue is out of her mouth. She is whipping the waffle batter as hard as she can, you know, to get that ready. She's just so, she's just so frustrated. Um, if you imagine for a moment your busyness, the demands on your time, if you imagine yourself uh, in Martha's busyness for a moment, you kind of know what she feels like. Between work and between the commute and between the kids' activities and feeding the kids and doing the things that you want to do but don't have time for, and your hot water heater breaks and the shower needs caulking. You have all of these things, all of these things that kind of pile up on top of you, we get, we get Martha's feeling here, this busyness. There's a certain bitterness that sinks in for us. That's like, gosh, no one else seems to have these problems. It's just me. It's not just you. We're all too busy like this. Um, for Mary and Martha, there's a few things at play. One is she just feels like this is not fair, right? I mean, Martha's kind of, you know what? I'm going to get her out of there because she's a little distracting. Um, Martha's Martha's kind of upset that Mary can just sit there and do nothing. I would love to be able to sit there and just listen, but I can't. I have all this work to do. Um, if you have young kids, you know that their uh, sensitivity for fairness is really well developed, even from a young age, right? It's not fair that he gets more screen time than I do, right? It's not fair that he doesn't have to do the same homework that I do. Like, well, you're in fourth grade and he's a kindergartner. Of, of, of course you have more homework. But they don't know that, right? There's a sense of um, unfairness. Another thing that's at play here for Mary and Martha uh, is the role of women in those days. Um, this is supposed to have changed by now. But in those days, women were expected to be the ones who were um, cooking and cleaning and taking care of things and making sure that when guests came over or when the men came home from working, everything was taken care of. And they were ready for it. And so. Uh, Martha is doing what society expects her to do. There's a set of rules, a set of expectations that her culture, that her um, place in life has set on her, and she's doing what's expected of her by society. Um, Mary is doing something different. Mary is doing something that she's not supposed to do. But what's more is what she is actually doing. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening. Now, to us, that might, this might be reminiscent of Thanksgiving, right? You have people who are working hard in the kitchen, and then, you know, Mary's out in the living room kicking her feet up watching the football game. That's not really what's happening here. When Luke talks about someone sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening, it's very kind of like specific language. What he's saying is she's in the position of a follower of Jesus, She's in the position of a disciple of Jesus. When a rabbi came to town and people sat at his feet and listened, it's because they were his students. They were his followers, his disciples. Again, this is a role that in those days was typically reserved for men. A woman wasn't supposed to be there, but she was there. So not only is she doing, not doing something she's supposed to be doing, but she's actually doing something that she's not allowed to do. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening. Mary and Martha here are playing by two different sets of rules. 
they're uh, listening to two different set of expectations, two different priorities. Now, how does Jesus respond? What does Jesus say to Martha? Jesus says, Martha, you were worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which, which will not be taken from her. Jesus says, Martha, I'm not going to tell Mary to, to start busying herself with all these tasks. In fact, I'm going to tell you that you're the one who's in the wrong here. Now, it's worth noting just here how radical Jesus is in his um, approach to women, right? For Jesus, uh, it was okay for women to sit at his feet and listen and learn as a student and as a disciple. Um, that's worth just pointing out, especially, I think, in our culture sometimes. But the point for this morning is that Martha has welcomed Jesus into her home. She's welcomed Jesus, that means, into her life. In some way, she too wants to be a follower of Jesus. She too wants to be a disciple. But Martha is operating according to the expectations society has placed on her. We all have expectations placed on us by our world. She's going along with those. Mary is not. Martha is distracted by many things. Mary is just the one thing, the thing that Jesus says, uh, listening to him, following him. Both of these women, notice, have the same set of expectations. Both of these women have the same abilities to um, fulfill those expectations. Both of these women have the same time available to do it, but they take different actions. Why? It's because they have different priorities. If you replace the word thing up there with the word priority, you see what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, Martha, I understand you have all of these tasks, all these priorities. You have all these things, but there's really only one priority. There's really only one thing, and it's listening to me. You have all these priorities over here, all these tasks to do that are, that are just fighting over your time. But then there's me. There's listening to me. That's the priority that's worth holding on to. That's the thing that matters. And underneath this issue of priorities is whose, whose priority are they? Who sets the priority? Basically, who's in charge? Who are you working for? Who's the boss? For Martha, it's everything else, right? Society's expectations, her place in life, that's, that's who her boss is. For Mary, it's Jesus. Jesus is her boss. Um, ironically, Martha calls Jesus Lord, which is the term that you'd use for someone who's in charge, for someone um, who you kind of are recognizing uh, is Lord over you. That's, that's the term that you would use. She calls him that, but she doesn't act like that. More importantly, she doesn't prioritize like that. That doesn't make her a bad person. That just means that she's not quite clear about who she's working for. She's not quite clear about her priorities. She's not quite clear about who's in charge. Now, if you've ever had the experience of, um, of working in a situation where you're not quite sure what the priorities are, or you're not quite sure who your boss is or who's in charge, kind of like Doug and his taco truck, right? You know how difficult that is. A lot of the studies show that um, 
most people who aren't successful at their jobs, it usually has to do with uh, not having clarified expectations, clarified roles and priorities. That's kind of Martha's situation here. Or worse, if you've ever been in a situation where you've had two jobs, you had two bosses, two sets of expectations, two different competing priorities. I did that for years. I worked here half time, and then I worked at a hospital as a chaplain half time. And I loved both of those jobs. But the problem with that is that you have two different sets of competing priorities, two different sets of expectations. You have two different voices that are kind of like um, calling for your time and calling for your attention. And what that, does, what that did to me was it made me feel like I was never doing good enough in either of the jobs. I wanted to be able to give more to both of the jobs because I love them both so much and I wanted to do good. Um, and when you work for two jobs, two bosses, two priorities like that, eventually you're just going to get tired and burn out or you're going to get frustrated because you're not good enough at either of them. This is something that Jesus actually directly warns us about. In one of his most famous pieces of teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, um, he actually says, this is what he says, He's talking about God and money, and he uses the term masters rather than um, priorities. But he says, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two bosses. You can't have two top priorities. It doesn't work because what happens is you hate the one and love the other, or you're devoted to the one, and you end up despising the other. You cannot serve, here he says, both God and wealth. You cannot serve both God and um, society's expectations, right? If, if he were talking to Martha here, he would be saying to her, Martha, I understand that you need to do all these things. I understand that you want to and that you need to, and that's what society expects of you. But if you're going to come and follow me and serve me, you can't have two top priorities. One has to come, one has to come before the other. As a follower of Jesus, um, this is a question that we need to ask of ourselves if you are a follower of Jesus. It's who is my priority? Who, who fills in my agenda? Imagine your schedule blank for the week. Who gets first dibs? Who gets first crack at filling in that schedule? Is it Jesus? Or is it all the other tasks that we're distracted by, all the other priorities, all the other bosses that we have? One of the reasons we're afraid to actually do that and engage in that thought experiment is because if we actually gave Jesus the time the attention that like, we think we should, if we actually made him the priority, then how would all that other stuff get done? What about feeding the kids? And what about getting them to lacrosse practice? And what about um, all the work we have to do? And what about the hot water heater and the caulk in the shower? How would all that stuff get done? We don't have the courage sometimes to make Jesus the priority because we're too worried, distracted, as Jesus says, by these other tasks. And it's, it's no wonder then why the very next thing that Jesus teaches, um, right after he says you can't serve two masters, he teaches about worry. He teaches about anxiety. He says, you know, you're inclined to worry about what you're going to wear and what you're going to drink and where you're going to live and what you're going to eat. He says, don't worry about that stuff. God's, God's got that stuff. Don't worry about it. He says, look at the birds in the, like, that are out there in the trees. Look at the lilies that are in the field. Um, they're beautiful. They're doing good things. They're doing what they're made to do. And they don't worry about it. And he says, God loves you so much more than he loves the birds and the flowers. He loves you so much more. He's going to take care of you as well. So don't worry about that stuff. It's okay to make Jesus the priority because he will take care of the rest. And he closes that little section of teaching by saying, 
Strive first for the kingdom of God. Make that your priority. And all these things, all your other priorities, all those things will be given to you. In Jesus' words, that's the one thing that matters. If you're able to put Jesus first, all the things that you worry about, all the things that you're inclined to think you need to fight for, the things that fight for your time, your many tasks, your many priorities, God will take care of the rest. Now to believe that is just a huge act of faith. To actually put Jesus above all those other things. It's a huge act of faith. Because how will all those other things get taken care of? Um, The bottom line is, you will never know until you try, until you start that, until you actually um, work to make this kind of thinking real in your own life. And so the question is, what would this look like for you to put Jesus first in your priorities, to put him at the top of your list, to be more like Mary uh, than like Martha? How would your life change tomorrow? How would your time change tomorrow? I think the most helpful way to think about this is just to think about um, our priorities, to think about the things that take up our time. For a lot of us here, um, it's kids, right? We have these little beautiful angels who suck up all of our time, right? Um, What do we do? What do we do with that, right? One thing is that we want to put our kids in all of the activities. We want to put them in all the sports, all the dance classes, all of the activities, all of the classes to give them the best grades, to give them the best chance, because we love them and we want to give them the best chance at life. We want to give them, make them most successful. But the question that we need to ask ourselves, if we're Jesus followers, is whose definition of success are we going by? Are we going by what the world says? Because culture says your kid does need to be the best lacrosse player. And he does need to know all the languages. And she does need to dance just perfectly or else, right? You know what Jesus' priority is for your kids? It's like to be really kind, to be really merciful, to be really loving. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves as parents in this situation is whose whose priorities are driving us? Is it what we want to see our kids become by what the world kind of, the pressure it puts on them? Or are we letting Jesus drive those things and say, you know what, I'm not going to give my kid that much time to play sports or to do the thing. Instead, I'm going to spend time with them. I'm going to teach them good things about who God is. Or I'm going to involve them in actually serving people, right? One of the other factors here is that a lot of times us parents, we put this kind of pressure on our kids and we do this kind of stuff, not even for them, but it's for us, right? Because if your kid is the best, If your kid is the smartest, if your kid gets honored, that's going to reflect well on you. When we kind of overburden our kids with that sort of um, pressure, it's just, that's that's not good. Like, that's not going to work. And we find ourselves sucked into this time. It takes so much of our time. And it's not going to land anywhere. It's not going to do anything. Another thing that takes up our time, another one of our priorities, is just work. I mean, for a lot of us, it's just It's just what we do with most of our time, work. And there's all kinds of reasons why. I mean, for some of us, it is really just to to pay the bills, right? But for a lot of us, it's to afford a lifestyle that is always just a little bit beyond our means. 
if we think to ourselves, um, I can only make, if I can make this much more money, I have to work this much harder, then I'll have the life, I can afford the life that I'm meant to have. It will always be like that. You'll never be able to afford the life that you think you need to afford. And so you'll always be working more. You'll put more value in your work, right? Um, another thing is we tend to find a lot of our identity, a lot of our self-worth from what we're able to achieve at work, from our position, from our power, from the kind of raises we get, that sort of thing. What would it look like for you to change that priority? What would it look like for you to put Jesus above your work? It's not going to look like quitting your job. Don't get me wrong. It's not going to look like going to work and slacking off or only working five out of the eight hours. That's not what it's going to look like. Um, but it may look like you thinking creatively about how you use your time at work. Can I use it to serve God in a different way? Can I, maybe I can say no to that promotion or to that transfer that's gonna mean a lot more work and not actually do anything for my family or for my life or for my following Jesus. Um, there's all kinds of possibilities there. It will look different for you depending on who you are. You know, a third thing that distracts us, that takes up our time, that becomes a priority, is that list. It's the list that's in your head that by definition can never be accomplished, right? It's that list that says once you get home, um, you can't sit until these six things are done. But six really is 60, right? Um, you can't give time to your kids like you're meant to, because you have this stuff to do. You can't give time to your spouse because there's always a list. And by definition, that list will never be all checked off. And that list is the thing that has the potential to drive you crazy, to isolate you, and to really like reduce the quality of your relationships. Well, what would it look like for you if you could um, throw that list in the garbage? Or just put that list aside and let Jesus be the one who kind of um, defines what your list looks like. Maybe it would look like being happy with everything not being done, but being able to spend time with your kids. Or being happy with things not being perfect, but being able to actually help someone. And then the final thing I'll say about our kind of priorities, what this could look like for you, um, is kind of the priorities that we don't mean to be priorities. All of the little things that end up kind of chipping away at our time. For instance, how much time do we spend trying to project outwardly um, a certain image of ourselves, right? Whether it's the way we look, whether it's the clothes we wear, whether it's the kind of car we drive or the kind of house we own or the kind of lawn we have, right? Or the kind of social media feed we like to keep. We spend this time projecting this image outward because then people won't know what it's actually like inside or people will just like me better if I look good all the time. It becomes a priority in our life and we put weight on it that we think will actually fulfill us and it actually won't and it takes up so much of our time. In the same way, another thing, we have these devices in our pockets all the time and we pull out these devices and we check the Facebook feed, we check the Instagram, we crush the candy, um, you know, like we do the thing. And why do we do that? Um, part of it is because I think we think busyness, looking busy on our phone is some sort of like um, virtue or something. Part of it is because some people can't stand uh, just to sit. 
Because then it's like, oh my gosh, all these things, all this weight, all this crushing me. And so um, we take out our phones and we busy ourselves nonstop with those things. And so what would it look like for you not to make those little things into things that become a big priority? It might look like um, putting your phone away. It might look like not binging Netflix, right? It might look like um, not, not being as perfect as you'd like, but having time, having time for people, having time for other things, um, having time to live life as Jesus meant it. Because the bottom line here, the bottom line with all of this is if we don't have time, if our answer to the question, will we ever have enough time, if the answer is always no, we will never have time um, to extend mercy where we haven't extended it before or to love others. We will never have time to pick up our heads and notice the people around us. If we don't have time, we will never be able to live the kind of life that God has made us to live, to be God's people in the world, which is what we're here for as individuals, but also as a church together. That's what you're meant for. You might read the story of Mary and Martha and say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm confused here. Um, Jesus is saying Martha is bad to be busy by her tasks, and you're saying you should get busy being merciful to people and loving people and using your time like that, what is it? I thought it was good to just to sit and listen. Just go to Bible studies, go to church, um, sit in your room, just sit and listen. I, I, I thought that's what was good here. Um, it might help you to know that the story immediately before this one is the famous parable of the Good Samaritan. This is a story that Jesus told um, you know, story of a man walking down a road. He sees a guy beat up and bloodied and left for dead on the side of the road. And the man decides to go over to him, bends down. He bandages up his wounds. He takes care of him at great cost to himself. He extends mercy. He extends love where he lives to this person. What he's doing is he's giving time to that person. Jesus says, if you want to have eternal life, if you want to live the kind of life that God has made for you to live, you have to love God and you have to love your neighbor like this. And his command at the end of that parable is to go and do likewise. It's not about sitting around and listening to Jesus or not. It's about following Jesus as the top priority in your life, whatever that looks like. And so uh, for you this morning, I want to kind of wrap up here with two different things. One um, is kind of a tool, and then, and then the other is kind of a challenge. And here's the tool. Um, this week, when you wake up every morning, rather than going to, um, what's on my kid's agenda for this week? Rather than going to, what do I have to do for work this week? Rather than, um, you know, what's on my list that I haven't gotten done yet? Rather than that, here's the tool. Say these words to God before you do anything else. God, you set my agenda today. Say, Jesus, you tell me what to do. Start your day using that tool um, and see how that goes. The challenge I want to give you, our theme for this year, what we're talking about, it's pain on the wall out there. It's love where you live. Basically, we want to be able to show the people around us who Jesus is by how we love them. My challenge for you for this week um, is to take one hour of your week that you wouldn't use otherwise. Take one hour to actually love where you live, to actually put it into practice. What that means is um, 
Think about the neighbor who's having a fight with their brother, and you've been saying for weeks you're going to reach out to them and try to talk to them and try to talk them through this. This week, put an hour aside to do that. Think about the person who you work with who is going through a divorce and um, they need a friend, they need someone to listen to. This week, take an hour and do that. You're having a struggle with your, um, with your spouse, with your husband, with your wife. You haven't had time to connect. Forget about everything else. This week, spend one hour connecting with your wife, connecting with your husband, in order to kind of like rebuild that relationship, to love where you live. And afterwards, ask yourself, did you miss that hour? Or did you benefit, did other people benefit from your decision to use your hour like that? Um, Ask God every day, set your agenda, take one hour this week to love where you live. And you will see how God will take care of you, take care of that time, and actually make a difference in the world around you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for giving us time. We thank you for the time that we do have. Um, As short as it seems, sometimes you've given us these limits where um, it reminds us we're not perfect and we can't do everything. The 24 hours of our day calls us to trust you with the 25th hour. So God, we ask you this morning that you would help us get our priorities straight when it comes to using our time, when it comes to just living life. Help us to get our priorities straight. Help us to put you as the top priority. Lord, if we need to put things aside, if we need to move on from things, if we need to um, tear down things, Lord, give us the courage and the ability to do that. Show us what putting you first would look like. Lord, if it's something with our kids or something with work or something with those lists in our head that kind of drive us, or whether it's just the little things, show us what we need to put aside and show us how we can put you first. Because what we want, Jesus, what we want is for you to make a difference in this world through us, for you to impact people around us, for your love and for your grace and for your mercy to extend to people who otherwise we don't have time for. As a church, as individuals, we want to make time for that. So we ask you, God, to work in us differently. Lord, we are inclined to serve any number of priorities, any number of masters, but we know we cannot serve two masters. And so we want to give ourselves to you, Jesus, to serve you as our master. We pray this in your name. Amen.